This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hello, you juicy juicers. I'm Brooke. And I'm Alyssa. And welcome to... For God's sake... Don't drink the Jones juice. Also, welcome to episode... 33. 33, yes. That's what it was. (laughs) I kind of screwed that up, but who cares? Screwed what up? I don't know, just the intro. Do we usually say welcome to? No, we say, and this is. And this is. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Anyway, hey You guys know what this is. (laughs) By now, hopefully. Yes. So... Um, Important announcements? Anything? Anything? No. I do want to mention something. Okay. So we need to do a listener juice. We currently have five uh, emails sitting in our inbox for listener juice. And we would like at least one more. Um, Even three more would be cool because, you know, reading four stories a piece sometimes is pretty cool for listener juice. So if you have any true crime or paranormal stories that you would like for us to read on air, please send us an email at don'tdrinkthejonesjuice at gmail.com. I sound so professional right now. You sound good, but I will say this is definitely the most awkward intro we've ever had. It's, well, it's so weird, guys, because like when you're recording this, you want everything to like flow smoothly, mm-hmm. but sometimes you just blank. Oh, well. Even though me and Brooke were literally talking for like an hour nonstop before, <laughs> before this. this. It's like once the microphones come on, it's we like, have nothing ooh. to say. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. So send us in your stories so we can maybe possibly do a listener juice next week. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's around that time, right? Yeah. I think it should be been about episodes. a month. Yeah. So, so yeah, send those in and we'll read them. And but we got one today. Yes. Lauren. And we wanted to do it, but. We just don't have quite enough for today. So send us one or three or, you know, 20. Send us all of them. Yeah. And uh, welcome to our new listeners, by the way. We've picked up quite a few new ones lately. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Um, Another thing I would like to mention, just because it's been a minute, if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, if you listen from Apple, we would love you forever. Because it's been quite a while since somebody left a review. I haven't even... I'm about to check because I... It's honestly, been like a while. I check every now and then. I so forgot all about If you that. like us, leave us a review. If you hate us, don't. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Don't say anything. Go on there bashing us. If you have something bad to say, oh, we have um, 50. 50? We have 50. But I think like they're all pretty old. If I'm not mistaken, unless I'm just not seeing. The last time I looked, which was like a couple of months ago, probably it was like at 48 or something. Oh, like okay. That, so cool. And cool. they're all five stars. Ooh, just so ooh. you guys know, all five stars. We're doing pretty good, yeah. I think. Um, but I was going to say, if you do have an issue with anything that we are saying, just message us yeah. <laughs> so we can correct it. Because odds are we probably didn't mean what it sounded like for sure and we are only human so we're gonna make mistakes and mispronounce shit and you know um probably 
speak on some things that may not be factual because it's just what we found in our research. So if we ever screw up, let us know. But you don't have to go like bash us because that would make us very sad. Exactly. <laughs> like write something that you do like about us and then privately let us know what we fucked up. Exactly. Because it is hard to research something like. What is that? My phone. <laughs> Scotty's calling me. Oh. How did you get a ringtone on there? Did you pay for that? No. Okay. So I felt like a freaking magic person when I did this. So it was actually, this is probably illegal. So for <laughs> legal reasons, this is not, this is not true. It's, I did not do this. She's making this up. It's a lie. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> there's this show called, um, Avatar the Last Airbender mm -hmm. and there's an episode where one of this character sings a song about true lovers and their forbidden love uh -huh. and it's a funny just cute song and me and my sisters would sing it all the time and so we came across a TikTok of a guy who like made a rendition of the song uh -huh. like a cover of it and um, I loved it so much. I was like, I have to have this as a ringtone. So I Googled how to turn a video into a ringtone. Oh. And so on GarageBand, I just like imported the okay. music onto it. And it wouldn't let me turn it into a ringtone unless I added something to it, like a sound to it or something. Yeah. So I added a sound to it and then I muted that sound so you couldn't hear it. Okay. <laughs> and then I converted it. I need you to do this for me. That's Again, pretty cool. Yeah. Like that reminds me of the old days when you had like music as your I ringtone. Know. I was like, how did you do that on the <laughs> iPhone? <laughs> it was weird. Okay. Yep. We're doing this for me. But I um I usually have my phone on silent, but I had it on sound because I had to turn it on to watch a video that was on Facebook. Does oh, that okay. ever happen to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Because yeah, so. I usually keep mine on silent too, and then I can't hear anything when I go to listen to a video, right? Or so. watch a video. That's that's why I have. Well, that. <laughs> uh, before you go today, I would love a ringtone. I I got you. <laughs> I do. I can do it. Sweet. Okay, so back on topic. Um, do you want, do you want me just to go into this or? Yeah. Let me mention one more thing really quick. Okay. So you guys, if you're on our Facebook or Instagram page, you have probably seen how I made a bulk order of our Ouija board shirts. I still have like 15 ish, I think at the shop. Um, if you guys want one, let me know. You can pick it up locally. If you're local, of course, $25 a piece. Um, I've got multiple sizes left. I'll try to make a post sometime in the next few days and let you know what I've, what I've got left. Um, but, uh, let us know if you want one of our shirts. Um, I wear these shirts, this shirt all the time, literally all the time. Me too. It's super comfortable. So yes. even if you don't like like wearing shirts like that mm -hmm. just buy it as a comfy shirt because yeah they're comfy true that so i guess let's get on into the story i always say that like so country get out get, get on, on into it oh okay so i went to the mountains with my mom and dad the other day and we were driving up the mountain <laughs> and my mom was like 
the forest has changed the forest the forest the forest looks a lot different than last time and i was like mom the forest what's a forest (laughs) (laughs) it was just really funny because i mean i say forest yeah but i know there are a lot of a lot of southern people who say forest (laughs) i've never heard that that's the new one you've never said forest forest yeah it's the forest that's like roll the window down i need to see the forest I mean, that's seriously something that Southern people do. And my whole, like, mom's side of the family are super Southern. Yeah. They all got them thick accents and whatnot. And I'm so glad I did not get it. <laughs> people may say differently, like, from up north. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I've always been told I'm very neutral. But to somebody that isn't from the South, we may sound like freaking hicks. I don't know. Well, when we went to San Diego, you know, oh, yeah. Amanda's husband is like a California native pretty yeah. much. And he said that I did sound kind of Southern. Yeah. But you sounded way more Southern. Yeah. Than me, Which so. is funny because I don't think I do. I don't know. I think it depends on the situation though. There are some words I say where I'm like, wow, that was very oh, yeah. Southern. Sometimes things will come out of me. Like if I'm like yelling at the girls or something. Yeah. And I'm like, dad, come it. Get over here. I'm going to whoop your ass. <laughs> I uh, hate it so much. And then like, the more I like jokingly talk in a Southern accent, the more it starts coming, coming out. out the way that I speak. I'm like, no. Oh gosh. That's probably why we don't have that many listens by now is because people <laughs> they hate, hate our accents these two southern fucking dumbasses <laughs> that don't like the south really is stupid i wish i could remember there is a like a male true crime podcast that i'll listen to one time and I, I think it was on like the justin Gaines story but i'm telling you like it's two men mm-hmm. and like they were great like they were funny they had like awesome information but I am talking about like hillbilly, <laughs> like North Georgia, like twang. Yeah. And uh, I wish I could remember who they are. I'm sure I'll come across them at some point. But I was just like, oh, how? That's crazy. Yeah. That to me. And, you know, people from the north or the west may think that they they may like our accents. I know yeah. I've seen TikTok videos of people from like london being like i love a southern accent but if you live in the south and you don't really have a strong southern accent you typically don't like southern accents right so i don't mind it oh Um, i hate it really there it depends on the person i don't know well if if it matches yeah who you are then it's i don't like like a redneck country no 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 no, no, you know what i mean no no but like a sweet southern accent like a miss cindy like that's oh, great. Well, that's, that's different. Like Paula Dean, you know. <laughs> okay. Yes. If if okay. If you, it's redneck or even hillbilly. Yeah. Either one, I cannot stand. But if you just kind of have that sweet su- southern drawl, yeah, that's different. Don't so. talk like you're toothless and living. <laughs> I, I'm not going to name any cities here. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Anyway, let's get on with the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> toothless. <laughs> i'm snorting oh god okay so (laughs) i'm doing the um the 2012 aurora colorado theater shooting oh that one's tough yeah um i remember when this happened and i was like Mm -hmm. so scared to go to the movies after that i know it still freaks me out to go i don't think i've been to the movies since i like i all my life i've been afraid of the movie theater i mean i 
seen movies in the theater countless times, but it always makes me very anxiety ridden. Yeah, I'm not big on theaters. I'd rather sit on my couch and curl up. Yeah, when you decide to watch a movie. Yeah, just like once every six years. (laughs) So this just kind of enhanced that fear for me. And I think I've only been like since this, I think I've only been to the theater like maybe three times. Yeah. So. So on July 12th, 2012 at 12 a.m., Century 16 Theater on or in Aurora, Colorado, was releasing a midnight showing of The Dark Knight, Mm -hmm. which is a Batman movie, if you do not know. Um, 400 people excitedly entered Theater 9 Mm -hmm. and were sitting down ready to watch this movie. Um, In the very first row, a man named James Holmes with just crazy colored orange hair Mm -hmm. sat down to watch the movie. Um, About 20 minutes into the film, this guy, James, got up and exited the room through um, the emergency exit door that was like right beside the screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And he left it partially open using a plastic tablecloth holder. Hmm. Which is kind of smart. Like, he knew that if he brought that in there, nobody would question it. Right, right. Um, This door led directly out into the parking lot Mm -hmm. that was behind the complex. Okay. And, like, nobody used it, really. It was... Did nobody think it was weird when this guy just gets up and goes out the emergency exit? I would have thought that was weird, for sure. Well, I would think, like, an alarm would go off. Or if they saw him put the tablecloth thing down there. Yeah, to keep it open. Yeah. Yeah, because... I would be weirded out instantly. Uh, people, I mean, people probably were, and they they probably probably were like, you know, maybe he's smoking a cigarette or. Yeah, but you don't just weird. go out the emergency exit. Plus, I feel like those kind of doors should have alarms on them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you would think the alarm would go off. Me personally, I would be like, oh shit, I'm gonna knock this alarm off when I open this door. Me too. Yeah. Well, whatever. So maybe I he knew know. what he was doing. <laughs> Obviously, he did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, James went to his car. And um, he changed into protective clothing and retrieved his guns. Ten minutes later, which would would have been 30 minutes into the movie, he returned to the theater through the same door he had propped open. He was dressed in all black, wearing a gas mask, a load-bearing vest, a ballistic helmet, bullet-resistant leggings, which, like, I kind of want some. (laughs) honestly <laughs> bullet resistant why just in case you get shot in the leg i mean you never know you never know and their leggings which i wear daily so <laughs> um he was wearing a bullet resistant throat protector a groin protector and tactical gloves wow he also had techno music <laughs> blasting from his headphones so that he didn't have to hear screaming i guess yeah i mean why because i don't know <laughs> I mean, you're coming in here to kill people and you don't want to hear anything. Maybe it was the, that's what the article said. Maybe it just got him pumped. That's what I was going to say. I think maybe it was to get him pumped. I got my sources or my information from Wikipedia. So, you know how Wikipedia goes. What a sicko. Yeah. So, um, have you ever been to a midnight? No. Okay. So, a lot of times people dress up in costumes and, you know. It's a big to do, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I've only ever been to one, and it was for Twilight. <laughs> but um, yeah, people will dress up, and it's very you know people are so pumped to see this. Mm-hmm. 
and they just make it a big thing so when he came in that's what people thought yeah he was doing and you know in batman they're there's armor and mm-hmm. that kind of shit too so you know a lot of people were, you know they they just thought this was a costume yeah other people thought it was like a um you know like the the theater hired this man to kind of add to the effect of right, it or, right you know like he was a prop kind of or yeah. like a publicity stunt or whatever and then some people were weirded out by it. And I would have been weirded out by it for yeah. sure. Because yeah. you saw him leave. Yeah. You saw him come back in through the emergency exit. Yeah. And I mean, he has guns. Yeah, Obviously, hell no. you can see that he has guns. Hell no. no. I would have instantly been mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So um, James threw two canisters that emitted a gas or a smoke. I don't know which one it was. Mm-hmm. That obscured the audience's vision. Yeah. It made their throats and skin itch, and it caused eye irritation. Did he, people start running, like, immediately? <laughs> I don't know. It, I'm just reading what I saw. Mm-hmm. He fired a 12-gauge Remington 870 Express tactical shotgun, whatever that is. It sounds dangerous. Jesus Christ. He shot it at the ceiling and then into the crowd of people. <sighs> he then fired... A semi-automatic rifle with a 100-round drum magazine. Holy shit. But this eventually malfunctioned, and after that, he fired a 40 caliber Glock 22 handgun. He shot towards the back of the room and then towards people in the aisles. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure people were running for their lives. And yeah. imagine just how chaotic that would be. You're, like, pushing and running and, oh, God. There's the screams of terror. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. So a bullet actually passed through the wall and into the adjacent theater mm-hmm. eight and um, it hit three people. Wow. Yeah. Did they die? Do you know? I don't think so. No, okay. I think they were just injured. Um, so then, of course, the fire alarm system started blaring and the staff evacuated theater eight. Mm-hmm. Um, altogether, James fired 76 shots in the theater. Six from the shotgun, 65 from the semi-automatic weapon, and five from the forty caliber handgun. Holy cow. 12 people were killed and 70 were injured, <laughs> um, like, all together. And then 58 were injured by just a gunshot because wow. some of them were injured by... Like, stampeding people. Yeah. yeah. And the, um, like, the little gas bomb smoke oh, yeah. thingy he threw. Oof. Um... The first phone call to 911 was made at 12.39 a.m. So this is literally like... 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Within 90 seconds, the police arrived and found three 40 caliber handgun magazines, a shotgun, and a large drum magazine on the floor of the theater. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't there. Oh. Um, unfortunately, because of all the fucking chaos going on, at this theater, theater, which I'm sure, like, the entire theater yeah. is probably, like, yeah, freaking out. Um, the ambulances weren't able to get to the back of the theater where the police were, like, getting the mm-hmm. injured people out of. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sergeant Stephen Redfern, who was one of the first officers on the scene, started sending victims to hospitals via squad cars. Wow. 
Yeah. Well, they probably didn't even have enough ambulances to get all those people out. Yeah, that's true, too. Mm. Yeah. So because James Holmes was wearing tactical clothing, he was at first mistaken as a police officer, Mm. which is kind of crazy to me because, like, I don't really feel like he would have looked like the other police officers. Right. Whatever. Who do I? What do I know? (laughs) So around 12.45 a.m., Jason Oviet, I think is how you pronounce that, apprehended James Holmes behind the cinema um, while he was standing by his car. Oh, wow. He didn't resist arrest and was described as being calm and disconnected. Mm-hmm. Fucking white people. Dude, fertile. <laughs> um, when he was approached by police... James told them that he had booby-trapped his apartment with explosive devices. Did you know this part? No, I don't know a lot of this. I mean, I knew the gist of it, but I'm learning a lot right now. I didn't know it either. Um, The police had to evacuate five buildings surrounding his apartment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) His apartment complex was only for the use of University of Colorado Medical Center students, patients, and employees. So he was going to school there. Oh, wow. Um, a day later, the police disarmed an explosive device that was wired to the, to the apartment front door, which allowed a remote-controlled robot to enter and disable other explosives. Wow. That's crazy, right? Yeah. Technology. Um, there were over 30 homemade grenades that were wired to a control box in the kitchen and filled with at least 30 gallons of gasoline. <laughs> So what was the goal here? Like the police would enter and they would all be killed by all this shit or I mean, I don't know. Well, so I went on a Reddit rabbit hole Mm -hmm. about this and I want to read to you somebody's theory. Okay. Um, so, um, also in his apartment, they found a Batman mask Mm. just so you know. Okay. So, um, Okay, so he says, um, based on what I'm reading, um, oh, is this the, yeah, okay. Based on what I'm reading, the dude was trying to create a Joker scenario. Um, between the news sites, thanks, okay. Okay, so this dude can't type. So <laughs> the dude tried to create a scenario where the cops would be misdirected to a noise complaint um, while he shot up the theater. Um, but he said, like, it sounds like his timing was off by a bit, though. Like, either the noise complaint wasn't reported as fast as he thought it it would be, or he expected someone to walk into the apartment since the door was apparently left open and blow it up, causing a divide in the troops and a decision as to which chaos they should attend to, which, you know, the Joker does do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Much of what I'm reading seems to imply that he was trying to create two big chaotic scenes, which reads to me like he was forcing people to to decide which one to attend to first. Residential complex going up with minimal casualties or commercial property with a bunch of casualties. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so yeah, that's what. No, that and makes sense. a lot of people had that theory mm-hmm. on Reddit. That was like one of the most prevalent theories, which does make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, or, you know, he could have just wanted to kill tons of people like yeah. the Columbine shooters who, you know, 
planted the bombs and did the shootings. Shitbags. Literally. So, um, around, like in the little thing it said, or in the Reddit article it says, it says around the time the shooting was taking place, you know, somebody, like, was supposed to hear the music in his room or in his apartment and, you know, go over there and enter it and, you know, blow the whole place up. Um, So a neighbor did hear the music and uh, she went to the door to tell him that she was going to call the police and she noticed the door was open, but she decided not to go in. Oh, good. (laughs) So her making that decision, probably like, I'm not, I don't really don't want to enter some dude's apartment. Yeah. Saved her life. Saved everybody's life in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, on July 30th, prospect prosecutors filed formal formal charges against james holmes including 24 counts of first degree murder 116 counts of attempted first degree murder and one count of illegal possession of explosives Mm -hmm. two charges were filed for each victim to expand the opportunities for prosecutors to obtain convictions Judge B. William Sylvester placed a gag order on lawyers and law enforcement sealing the court file and barring the University of Colorado from releasing public records relating to James's year at school. Hmm. Which this sucks because um, um, they, well, so James's attorney and whatnot are trying to push the he's mentally ill, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, insanity. Mm-hmm maybe get a lesser charge maybe not go to prison oh god you know type of view um but prosecutors um said that on um august 24th of 2012 james had told a classmate that he wanted to kill people four months before the shooting took place and there was a notebook that was found Mm-hmm. A notebook, or not a notebook that was found, but a, a notebook that was talked about that James had written um, in about a violent attack that he gave to his psychiatrist. Ooh. Yeah. And so a judge ruled on August 30th that that notebook was covered by physician patient privilege because it was addressed to his psychiatrist. No. Yeah. Okay. I, I, but I feel like psychiatrist legally have to have to um like tell authorities if there's someone talking about killing people i feel like that's not patient doctor confidentiality i think if you're having thoughts like i think it's more like if you say you are going to do this Mm -hmm. or you know you know somebody is going to do this they have to report it but if because, you know, there are a lot of people in this world who deal with violent fantasies and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't think that they necessarily are supposed to report it or have to report it because it could just be yeah, thoughts. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. I feel like you in any way, shape or form say that you are considering homicide or suicide. I, I feel like it should legally have to be reported. Well, it never says what it was. Oh, it could have been like a like a fantasy that he made up of a violent attack. It wasn't mm-hmm. plans for one. Okay, or it wasn't. It was like you Just know writings. Right, okay. exactly. So that's probably why 
the psychiatrist never did anything about it okay i mean if he would have written like i am going to kill these people in this way yeah they would probably go to the police about it yeah um so um because the judge ruled it as patient or physician patient privilege it was deemed inadmissible as evidence in court unless his mental health became an issue in the case Hmm. um march 27th james's lawyers offered a guilty plea in exchange for prosecutors to not seek the death penalty and five days later prosecutors declined the offer Mm -hmm. um i don't know how to pronounce this it's a county uh, it's Arapaho, A R A P A H O E. I don't know. Arapaho. I don't <clears> know. <throat> um, but that county district attorney, George Brochler, said it's my determination and my intention that in this case for James Egan Holmes, justice is death. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. So the trial started on April 27th, 2015, and the jury consisted of 19 women and five men, two of which had connections to the Columbine High School shooting. Wow. Is this in the same county that Columbine was? You said Aurora, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have no mm. idea. <clears throat> we could Google it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so um, on May 26th, Holmes's notebook found at the university was released and the details consisted of 10 years of James expressing wanting to kill people. There were also details of the plan to carry out the shooting, which obviously shows premeditation. Okay. So they're within 30 minutes of each other. So yeah, very close. Very, Denver kind of suburbs of Denver. Right. Okay. I thought it was close. Um, Dr. William Reed, who is a court-appointed psychiatrist, testified that James was mentally ill but legally sane. Dr. Reed and another doctor evaluated James again and agreed that he knew exactly what he was doing during the shooting. Mm -hmm. On June 8th, a second psychiatrist named Jeffrey Metzner testified that Holmes was mentally ill but legally sane during the shooting and that he suffers from schizoaffective disorder. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? Yes. What is that? Uh, it's funny you say that because I was actually having a conversation with somebody at work about that. I'm going to Google just to schizoaffective disorder, right? Yeah. So it includes schizophrenia and mood disorder symptoms. Okay. So it's a combination of schizophrenia, uh, schizophrenia and mood disorder, such as depression or bipolar. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It's funny, we were just talking about this the other day at work. So, yeah, it's just a combination of... Got you. Okay. So, July 16th, James Holmes was found guilty of 24 counts of first-degree murder, 140 counts of attempted first-degree murder, one count of possessing illegal explosives, and a sentence enhancement of a crime of violence. Okay. The jury ruled that James acted in a cruel manner but was lying in wait and ambushed his victims during the shooting. Mm-hmm. However, the jurors decided that James did not intend to kill children when he opened <sighs> fire because he did kill a six-year-old. <sighs> but my whole thing is, is like, it doesn't fucking... No, you were, you're, you're blindly shot. shooting into a crowd, but you didn't mean to kill children. Like, you, you were killing everybody except for the children. No. No, you weren't aiming to not hit children. No, you were just shooting randomly. Bullshit. Hoping that it would hit people and kill yeah, them. Period. Literally. 
that's oh like does he have a soft spot for children i mean (laughs) (laughs) fuck off like he has no regard for human life obviously no these random people that he is killing he did this on purpose he did not care who he killed yeah he just shot to kill but i didn't mean to kill children (sighs) so stupid so James Holmes was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on August 7th after jurors failed to reach a unanimous decision over senten- sentencing him to death. Um, at the end of the hearing on August 26th, James was formally sentenced to 12 life sentences without parole and a maximum of, a maximum of 3,318 additional years wow. on attempted murder and explosives possession convictions. Thank goodness. Literally, he's never getting out. Never. <laughs> Me, I mean, I believe in the death penalty. I'm like an eye for an eye girl. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like fucking get him out of here, you know? Yeah. But. The good thing, though, is that he's so young Yeah. that he's going to suffer in prison for a long time. True. Yeah. Um, so there is also a big misconception about this case where um, every on, everyone on social media referred to James Holmes. James, oh my God, kill me. <sighs> no. <laughs> no, I don't want to have to do a podcast on your death, Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I can't talk. No, you've done great this episode, I think. No, I've messed up so much, but <clears throat> thank you for your encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> so... Everyone on social media and like there were news articles about this, but like he referred to himself as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently like federal agents had said this, but it ended up being not true. But I remember there like being memes of him with his crazy orange hair yeah. and them being like, you know, something about the Joker. But the weird thing to me is like the Joker has green hair. Not worried, yeah. So I don't really understand, but whatever. So, um, Okay, where am I at? So, what was the misconception that he was trying to go after, like, be like a Joker? That he said he was the Joker, yeah. Okay. But I just remember that being a big thing okay. when this first happened. Um, so, this was reported by mainstream news as the most victims of any mass shooting in U.S. history. It wasn't until 2016... Um, when the Orlando nightclub shooting happened, yeah, that the numbers would surpass that. That one's a tough one too, man. Mm-hmm. We'll have to cover that eventually. That was a very sad day. And Virginia Tech. I also can't believe that was in 2016. Does it seem like longer to you, or shorter? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and what's that other one? The stupid fucking guy in uh, Vegas. That mm-hmm. concert. Yep. Oof. That one is interesting. It's awful. Some, yeah. One of us need to cover that eventually, too. Because that's the one where, you know, there's conspiracies about it. And several of them have, like, died since. Yeah. In, like, weird circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, one of us definitely needs to do that. Yeah. So the 12 victims who died are Jonathan Blunk, who is 26, Alexander J. Boyk, who is 18, Jesse Childress, who was 29, Gordon uh, Cowden, Cowden, who is 51. Jessica Gowie, who is also known as Jessica Redfield. And apparently she was like a really, like a famous journalist or something like that. Okay. And she was 24. Mm. John Laramere, who is 27. Mac McQuinn, who is 27. Michaela Medic, who is 23. 
Veronica Moser Sullivan, who was six. Oh. Alex Sullivan, who was 27. Alexander C. Tevis, or Tevs, who was 24. And Rebecca Wingo, who was 31. Oh, so many young people. All of them were young. Mm-hmm. All of them. There was one that was in their 50s, but that's mm-hmm. still too young. So Ashley Moser, who was Veronica Moser Sullivan's mother, the six-year-old. Yes. Um, she suffered critical injuries after being shot in the chest, and she was rendered uh, paraplegic and mm. also miscarried a baby a week oh. later. Yeah. Caleb Medley, the last victim discharged from the hospital, mm-hmm. suffered serious brain damage and an injury to his right eye from a gunshot blast to the head. Oh. He had three sur- surgeries and required a feeding tube. And he had severely impaired movement and could no longer speak. How heartbreaking. Like you go to the movies to see. Something you're passionate about. And yeah. And then this shit happens. Ugh, people are sick. Um, so the Community First Foundation collected $5 million for a fund for victims and their families. And each family of the dead received $220,000. Wow. Yeah. Very so. good glad that that happened yeah mm. doesn't bring them back but no that's but very nice that could cover funeral costs and absolutely all that stuff so the last thing that i'm going to talk about this about this case is and a lot of you may may know what i'm about to say but it has to do with the little wayne video Lil the wayne music video, video. I, I don't you know i've heard about this i don't think so so just hours before the shooting Mm -hmm. lil wayne released a music video where he and some friends were sitting in a movie theater and there were 12 skeletons (gasps) like sitting in the seats in the theater that's fucking wild so crazy there's also like a girl and she's wearing it's like a bird mask but it really kind of does resemble like a gas mask no bat like batman (gasps) batman's what video is this so it's um the song I okay. It's a song called um I don't listen to Lil Wayne, so My Homies Still mm. is the name of it. And also another fucking weird thing and actually <laughs> me and Scotty were kind of um going back and forth about this earlier because I wrote it down because it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'll, okay, I'll tell you first. So it says, um, like uh, in one of the lines of the song, mm-hmm. um, they say something like, um, they mention a semi-automatic mm-hmm. gun, and then um, one of the lyrics is "no click click." After that, mm-hmm. um, and I wrote that down because I was like, "Oh my god, that's weird!" Because fucking James's it semi-automatic weapon malfunction. Yeah, yeah, and Scotty was like. No, a semi-automatic weapon, it means no click-click because, like, you don't have to keep pulling the trigger. Yeah, I mean, but, I guess it could be either way. But we searched up what a semi-automatic weapon is, and uh-huh. you do have to pull the trigger every single time. Oh. It's like a, what did he say it was? Like, it goes to show what we know about guns. <laughs> I know nothing about guns. About guns. So a semi-automatic firearm, firearm, also called a self-loading or auto-loading firearm, is a repeating firearm whose action mechanism it 
automatically loads a following round of cartridge into the chamber and prepares it for subsequent firing, but requ but requires the shooter to manually actuate the trigger in order to discharge each shot. Okay. So, huh. that's just odd. Yeah, that's super eerie. Wow. There Never are heard of that. Reddit rabbit holes about that, so mm -hmm. if you guys want to explore do so and if you find anything else let me know i personally really don't think lil wayne had anything to do with this right. but it, it's just such such a weird coincidence that oh yeah for all sure. these things kind of happened especially the 12 skeletons because there yeah. were 12 people who Oof. died yeah Oof. and 12 skeletons in, in in the movie theater too mm -hmm. and a lot of people were like well you know i think it's kind of um it's more so you know he kind of knew that you know, the Batman movie was coming out, so he kind of did, yeah. you know, something movie theater related or whatever, but Eek. it's still really weird. Super ironic. Yeah. But that's all that I have. That's a good one. You did a great job. If only I could fucking speak. I feel like every time I make a good one, I cannot talk the entire time. <laughs> well, that'll probably be me in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but just in the beginning, that's always when yours happens, but mine happens all throughout <laughs> it because I'm just... I don't know got tongue tie or something well i guess we're gonna uh let you guys listen to a word from our sponsor and we will be back with my story my story is a big one so see you soon Ooh, what's that smell Oh, that's my new blueberry cheesecake wax melt from Scentsy. How do I buy one? So I have this friend named Ashton who's an independent consultant for Scentsy. Scentsy sells wax warmers, wax, diffusers and diffuser pods, oils, laundry and cleaning supplies, personal hygiene products like body washes and lotions, and they even have a kid's line. Wax melts are even on sale during the month of January. Is that where that lemon-scented counter cleaner came from? Yes, it's called Squeeze of the Day. Doesn't it smell amazing? Oh, yeah. And that new shampoo I used on Emery and Charlie, it's from Scentsy, too. Where do I go to buy her products? You can go to ashtoncouch.scentsy.us. That's A-S-H-T-O-N-C-O-U-C-H dot Scentsy, S-C-E-N, T-S-Y dot U-S, or you can call her at 706-819-8968. Again, you can go to her website at ashtoncouch.sensi.us or call her number at 706-819-8968. Hello, Juicy Juicers. That's going to be my thing of the day. Juicy Juicers. So before I begin, I want to give a trigger warning. So this story I'm about to cover contains a lot of violent sexual assault and also crimes against children. Thanks. So if that's something you are not into, I highly suggest skipping this part of the episode. So um, I will be covering Richard Ramirez, who is also known as the Night Stalker. 
um, to kind of uh, speak about my sources real quick. I do want to say I did watch the Night Stalker docuseries on Netflix, partially, I guess, um, because sorry, guys, if you don't agree, but I thought it really freaking sucked. So um, I got about like an episode and a half into it. And then I just kind of like let it play in the background (laughs) because it just was not good to me. Like to me, it was too much about like the investigators in the case and Mm -hmm. not enough about the case. Right. It was just super boring to me. So um, I don't know. You guys let us know how you felt about it because I know a lot of you watched it. Um, I also watched uh, Bailey Sarian's video on YouTube on this. Um, and I got info from Wikipedia, um, Britannica.com, and therap.com. So uh, with all of that being said, uh, Ricardo Leva Munez Ramirez was also known as Richard Ramirez. He was born on February 29th, 1960 in El Paso, Texas to Mexican immigrants Julian and Mercedes Ramirez. Richie, as his family called him, was the baby of five children. So the family didn't have much money. They were kind of, you know, on the on the poorer side. Mm-hmm. Mom Mercedes worked at a boot factory um, where she was exposed to chemical fumes when she was pregnant with all of her children. Oh no! So all of his siblings had birth defects ranging from respir- respiratory issues to bone deformities. Well, all of them had some kind of something going on. At age two, a dresser fell on Richard's head and knocked him unconscious. He suffered a large forehead laceration that required 30 stitches. Holy shit. Yeah. And then at the age of five, he was knocked unconscious yet again from a swing. And at that point, he started experiencing seizures. And he was later diagnosed as a child as epileptic. Dink. I do want to mention um, head injuries are a very common factor in a lot of violent criminals. Yep. Um, I do have a friend that would like to come on and speak eventually about head injuries as her husband has had one. Now he is not violent, thank goodness. But of course, a lot of things have changed with him since his mm-hmm. head injury. And uh, you'll notice a lot of these guys have head injuries it's literally it's most so, all of them yeah yeah i think uh ed kemper um ed Keen, john wayne gacy john wayne gacy uh did ted bundy i can't remember uh, i don't remember I don't either know. but yeah a lot of them so there's something to that clearly clearly so uh dad julian was a former policeman it's probably julian if he's julian yeah husband. well i'm gonna say julian because okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever his name is we'll just call him dad So dad was a former policeman and he was super prone to fits of anger and violence. Another thing that is very common with our um, criminals here. They are a lot of times they come from violent childhoods Um, and his violence and anger often resulted in physical abuse towards the entire family. He would also tie Richard to a cross in a cemetery and leave him out overnight as a form of punishment. I mean, you, you do what you got to do as a parent. You know? um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> just tie him to tie him to crosses in the cemetery. Totally normal. <laughs> do you know what his deformity was? No, like as far as bones or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know. It didn't say that he had any issues about that, like any you know lung issues or bone deformities. Um, I think his was mostly just head injuries. <laughs> 
obviously. So, yeah. And it probably wasn't good for him to be breathing that stuff in in the womb anyway. Right. You know, there was probably a lot of stuff going on with him. I wonder how he would have been if he wouldn't have gotten the head injury. Yeah. You yeah. Don't, you don't know. So um, Richard started intentionally sleeping in the cemetery at the young age of 10 just to avoid being around his dad. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. He just he didn't want to be around him. I wouldn't want to be around him either. So it seemed like Richard Ramirez was kind of like at a disadvantage from the start, you know, just head injuries. From the womb. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, head injuries, abuse, poverty, you know, all the things that a lot of times make, make people. Make a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, if you've had these things, we're not saying you are a serial killer. I'm just saying that this is a very common thing with these guys. Or women. So um, despite this, by all accounts, he was known as a child by friends as a happy and funny kid. His family were devout Catholics, and Richie even served as an altar boy. What is an altar boy? A boy that stands at the altar. I don't know. I, I don't know much about Catholicism, so I'm guessing he was up there at the altar for some reason. Okay. I don't really know, but he was also devout catholic okay <laughs> so it wasn't until around the age of nine or ten that things started really changing for richard he started with he started withdrawing from his family and became sort of a loner he began dabbling in drugs such as marijuana at L- nine or ten at nine or ten oh my god but listen marijuana lsd and cocaine and he formed an interest in satanism that young I mean, at 10 years old, I probably was doing that same stuff, too. Totally dabbling in cocaine and LSD. Like, that's nuts to me. But, like, clearly, you know, we're coming from not such a great area. And, you know, we'll learn very quickly that he was also not around the best people um, and influences. Can you also just imagine, like, being an adult and offering a 10-year-old cocaine or LSD? Thank you. No, that's disgusting. That is a baby. Jesus. So Richard's closest friend and his biggest influence was his older cousin, uh, Miguel. The two smoked marijuana together and Miguel, who served in the army in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. shared stories with Richard about serving in Vietnam and how he raped and killed women while he was there. He even showed Richie personal photos of Vietnamese women that he raped, mutilated and dismembered. Oh, I remember this. I hate Mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. So he showed a picture to Richie of him holding a severed head. Oh, my God. From one of the women that he raped and murdered. And unlike a usual human being, instead of being horrified, Richie was intrigued and he was even sexually aroused by the photos. Yikes. So we've got the making of a serial killer. Right. And I do want to go on record and say that if you do have if you do get aroused by that kind of thing it's not normal that's not normal at all please please so um at just 13 years old richard watched miguel shoot his wife in the face during an argument killing her instantly richie was just kind of like chilling on the couch they started fighting miguel just like loses it and shoots his wife in the face and kills her my god horrible so, of course, that's going to be huge on a 13-year-old's, you know, Literally developing mind. Anybody. Yeah. Anybody. So, Richie ends up moving out of that household, and he moves in with his sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto. 
Roberto is a peeping Tom and he starts taking Richie along with him on his nightly acts. Oh my God. So we're talking just constant, I I don't, abuse towards this child. I mean, that's what it is. It is abuse for sure. So he starts taking him to peep, peep in the windows of women undressing and using the bathroom and, you know, all of this. Which is so gross. Why do you want to watch a woman take a shit or a piss? Disgusting. Because people are gross. I don't know. So eventually, um, after being found not guilty of murder of uh, his wife by reason of insanity, Miguel is released after just a four-year stay at a mental hospital. I wonder how he got that Mm. sentence. Like how? Four years. You shot your wife in the face and you didn't go to prison. You went to a mental hospital. That is horrible. Horrible. So Richard and Miguel resume their close friendship as soon as he gets out. And in the years that followed, Richard started to pick locks, open windows from the outside, and stalk and hunt rabbits, coyotes, and birds. So, again, we've got some more serial killer ca- uh, characteristics going on. You're torturing mm-hmm. animals. You're kind of, you know, picking into people's, you know, opening windows. So it was only a matter of time before he began stealing and entering homes through unlocked windows. Honestly, if you're a peeping Tom, that is, to me, I think that that will ultimately almost always escalate into something worse because, like, yeah. peeping well because clearly for him it was a sexual thing and it's it's not going to be good enough you know just 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 seeing them after so long but also that is such a vulnerable thing for somebody to be seen naked by somebody in general but especially somebody that they don't know yeah and you're doing that without their consent you're doing Mm -hmm. that without them even knowing Mm -hmm. and you feel no shame no Mm -mm remorse for doing it it just it's always going to turn into something worse for sure so um eventually richard is sent to a texas youth camp for juvenile delinquents um he drops out of school in the ninth grade and he ends up taking a job at a local holiday inn and he starts using his pass key to rob sleeping guests he starts entering bedrooms while people are asleep or hotel rooms and taking valuables. Yikes. Double yikes. That's so scary. So he was fired eventually after he attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room. And her husband returns while he's attempting to rape this woman and beat the shit out of Richard. Good. Right there. And at this point, I'm assuming, you know, he's either young adult or like teens. So husband beats the shit out of him. And unfortunately, the criminal charges were dropped when the couple who lived out of state didn't return to testify against him. You know what is also just scary about that? What? The fact that this dude gets caught trying to rape this this dude's wife Mm -hmm. and gets the shit beat out of him Mm -hmm. and then still continues later on down the road to try and do it. Yeah. I I think it's so sad that the couple didn't testify. I mean, I get it, I guess, you know, it's just like so much trauma. You're like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Whatever. He got fired. But like, if they had that might could have stopped all this stuff that happens later. At least a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1982, when he was 22 years old, Richard moves permanently to California. 
And here's where it starts getting nasty. So within two years, on April 10th, 1984, Richard Ramirez raped, beat, and stabbed a nine-year-old girl to death. Oh, my God. She was a Chinese-American named Mei Ling. I, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I do not know. Um, But it was in the basement of the hotel where he was living in San Francisco. He then hung her body from a pipe. Now, this was his first known murder, um, but it wasn't it. uh, I'm sorry. Let's see. It was his first known murder, but it wasn't identified as being connected to his famous crime spree until 2009. Wow. Yeah. When his DNA was matched to a sample obtained at the crime scene. How the fuck do you do that? Yeah. How do you fucking rape and murder somebody like that? Like nine year old. But like in the in the basement basement and Mm -hmm. like not get caught. Exactly. And for that long, too. Right. So, um. In 2016, police stated that there was evidence of a second suspect that was with Richard at the time um, that was also identified through a DNA DNA sample, um, but they have not publicly identified the suspect, describing him as being a juvenile at the time, and have not brought charges against this person due to lack of evidence. Uh-oh. Well, so I hope there's they- another freak out there somewhere. Oh, God, I hope they can get him because, jeez. I know. What did, like, he was there or he participated? All it said was that he was present at the little girl's murder. Wow. So, I don't know. Either way, he deserves to be in trouble. (laughs) Well, yeah, for at least not saying anything to the authorities, but. So now we will get on to the Night Stalker crimes, which are the the famous ones. So the date is June 28th, 1984 in Los Angeles, California. 79-year-old Jenny Vincal was was found brutally murdered in her apartment. She had been stabbed repeatedly while sleeping and her throat was slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. Ramirez's fingerprint was found on a window screen he removed to enter her bedroom. Then, so we went quite a while after those two murders, um, and we are now into March of 1985. So March 17th of 1985 in Rosemead, California, Ramirez attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez. Maria had just pulled into her garage, having come home from work, when a tall man, dressed in all black, slams his hands down on her car. Oh, my God. How scary, right? And that was one of his tactics. He liked to see the fear in his victim's eyes. Yeah. Like, that's so, oof, so Was she still in her car? Uh, When he slammed his hands down, yes. She should have backed the fuck up. Yeah. So... No, well, maybe she wasn't because it uh, startled. She turns to him before seeing that he has a gun and is getting ready to shoot her. So he aims directly at her face and shot towards her with a 22 caliber handgun. She survived when the bullet bounced off the keys that she held in her hands as she held them over her face oh, wow. to protect herself. What a lucky, lucky uh-huh. woman. So basically like the bullet ricocheted off of 
off of the keys. But the shot's force forced her onto the ground, and Ramirez pushed her aside, thinking that she was dead, so that he could enter the house. So Dale Okazaki, who was Maria's roommate, was in the home and heard the gunshot. She was in the kitchen. She ducked behind a kitchen counter, and when she saw Ramirez enter the home, um, you know she she hid from him. And like some sort of sick game, when Dale raised her head over the counter, he shot her in the forehead, killing wow. her instantly. So he knew she was there. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was one of those things. He waited until she rose her face up mm-hmm. so he could see that fear and just blew her away. She was only 34. God, that is so sad. Yeah, he's a sick bastard. He is a sick bastard. So Maria laid still on the ground of the garage and eventually decided to go inside and, and enter her home from the front door, thinking that, you know, the attacker would leave from where he came from, the mm-hmm. garage door, right? However, just as she was getting close to the front door, Richard opens it. This time when he raised his gun at her, Maria ducked and just like pleaded to him, please don't shoot me again, saying that the first time was enough. Like, please, please, like you shot me once to like, just please don't. So by some miracle, he listened and he just simply slowly walked away. Luckily, Maria Hernandez had no serious injuries and was able to provide the officers in charge of the investigation with an accurate description of the assailant. Why did she just not leave? Why didn't she leave? I think she thought he was gone and she was like wanting to go check on her roommate, you know? I don't know. Or thought, you know, he had probably went out the garage door and she didn't see him. I I don't know. Crazy. Well, I'm glad she survived. That's a two, two strokes of luck right there. Oh, absolutely. Divine intervention. Yeah. So within an hour of Maria and Dale's attack, Ramirez randomly pulled 30 year old. This is another tricky name. Cy Leon, uh, also known as Veronica. Uh, Her last name was Yu, and she was an Asian-American, out of her car in Monterey Park, shot her twice with a twenty-two caliber handgun, and fled the scene. So basically just yanks her out of the car, shoots her, and he flees. But it was said to have been a, like he wanted to steal her car, but all he did was yank her out, and like she drops dead, and he takes off on foot. Right. So, like, what was the point in that? Just, I guess, because he couldn't kill the other girl. Wow. So, the two murders and attempted third in a single day, of course, it attracts, like, a lot of media coverage. Mm -hmm. And the news dubbed him, um, described as a curly-haired with bulging eyes and wide-spaced rotting teeth. They they dubbed him as the walk-in killer and the valley intruder. Those were the first names for this sicko. So while the two killings weren't, were I'm sorry, the two attacks weren't instantly linked, Detective Gil Carrero had a hunch that the seemingly motiveless killings were linked to a sexual deviant um, that sees the perp- or a, a sexual deviance that sees the perpetrator turned on by fear. Which, yeah. So what? this this guy is like. A lot of people are thinking, like, these aren't connected, yeah. but this specific investigator, which he was talked a lot about and interviewed a lot in the Netflix series, he's like, no, look, like, these are connected. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I just know it. And people were like, no, 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 you're wrong. Well, but you, it's like the same gun, too, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're all in the same area. I mean, I think right. it's obvious, but hey, 
What do I know? I'm not an investigator. <laughs> so um, he says with Maria Hernandez, he could have crept up silently and shot her. He didn't. He slapped the top of her car so that she would turn around and see him. With Dale, he waited until he saw the fear in her eyes and he shot her. With Sai Leon Yu, the suspect wanted a confrontation and he wanted to see that fear. <clears throat> That's what made me start thinking about one man doing this. That's what he said. I wonder if you didn't show fear, how he would react. Yeah, I don't know. There's a few that fight back, so we'll talk about that. So on March 27th, around 2 a.m., Ramirez entered a home that he had burglarized a year earlier, just outside of Whittier, California. Second time entering this home. Wow. He shoots and kills the sleeping homeowner, Vincent Charles Zazara, age 64, with a twenty-two caliber handgun. Let me also mention a lot of serial killers do not use guns. Yeah. So that's a very unique characteristic about Richard Ramirez, which we'll learn later he does use other weapons. But most serial killers, it's it's more of a personal um, mm-hmm. attack, like knives and, you know, things Strangulation. like that. Yes, yeah. exactly. But his earlier crimes, it seems they all were done with guns. So Zazara's wife, Maxine, age 44, was sleeping on the couch, and she woke up hearing the gunshot. Ramirez beat her and bound her hands while demanding to know where anything valuable was. While he ransacked the room, the brave Maxine escaped her bound hands and got a shotgun from under the bed, which was unfortunately unfortunately not loaded. Oh, no. So this infuriated Ramirez, who repeatedly raped Maxine and then shot her three times with the twenty-two. He then goes to the kitchen and gets a large carving knife. He mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, including carving a T into her breast, and then he gouged her eyes out and placed them in a jewelry box, which he took with him. So in the Bailey Sarian video, she said that Maxine grabbed the shotgun and like aimed it at him and like click and nothing happened how terrifying would that be like you think like i've got this guy and then it's not fucking loaded literally the confidence is there he's scared that he's about to die and then it totally just backfires on you that is so heartbreaking so um yeah that that was a weird one he gouged her eyes out i guess he was just fucking pissed like that she was trying to kill him Yeah. yeah So um, her autopsy determined that the mutilations were done post-mortem. So she was already dead when he was, like, cutting her up. Right. fucking weird. So Vincent and Maxine's bodies were discovered by their son, Peter. Oh, my God. I know. Ramirez had left footprints from a pair of Avia sneakers in the flower beds, which the police photographed. This was virtually the only evidence that the police had at this time. Just this shoe print. And the fingerprint. And the fingerprint, yes. No, where did, where was there a fingerprint? Um, I don't think One we, of the first victims. You said that there? they found his oh, fingerprint. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. So, yeah, they don't have a whole lot to go on other than, you know, maybe a size shoe and yeah. one fingerprint. So bullets found at the scene were matched to those found at previous attacks, and the police determined finally that a serial killer was at large. All of California is freaking the fuck out. Yeah, I bet. So there's a serial killer on the loose, and he was completely random in his choice of victims. Anyone could have been next. So on May 14th, Ramirez returns to Monterey Park, and he enters the home of Bill Doy, 
age 66, and his disabled wife, Lillian, who is 56. Ramirez shot Bill in the face with the 22 in their bedroom after Bill reached for his own handgun. Another one of those where he just got him before they got him. Oh, God. Oh, I hate it. So after beating the alive but badly wounded Bill into unconsciousness, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom and bound her with thumb cuffs. Do you know what thumb cuffs are? Mm-mm. So it's like almost like handcuffs, but they go like on your thumbs. And I read somewhere like they like bind your thumbs together. I read somewhere that like she like pulled so hard trying to get her fingers out that they were like just like Ooh. like uh, what's the word I'm looking I'm, like mutilated. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. So that left her bleeding profusely, and he ransacks the ransacks the home while she's tied up, and then he rapes Lillian. Bill died of his injuries while in the hospital. So he's got this thing now where he's shooting husbands and then raping the wives and sometimes killing them, sometimes not. So he did not kill Lillian. He did not kill Lillian. I wonder why. Some of these victims, he doesn't. He just rapes them. It's so weird how some of them he chooses to kill and others he decides to let live. It's it's strange. Hmm. I don't know what the reasoning. I would like that to is. know. I know, right? I'll tell you, there's one coming up here in a little bit, and I'll tell you why he didn't kill her. And, and it's a really weird reason. But So two weeks later, May 29th, Ramirez steals a car and enters the home of Mabel Bell, age 83. She was also known oh, as Ma. Mabel Bell. Uh, I know. A lot of these are elderly, too. I don't know if that was just by chance or, you know, if he knew. It's probably because he knew they could overpower him. Right. And uh, Mabel lived with her disabled sister, Florence um, Lang, but she was also called Nettie. So we've got Ma and Nettie. Oh, Florence uh, and Mary. uh Oh, not Mary. What did you say her name was? Mabel. Mabel. Yeah, Mabel. And she was 81. So they're two sisters, age 83 and 81. He used a hammer he found in the kitchen to bludgeon Nettie after he tied her up and raped her. He then drew a pentagram on her thigh using red lipstick. He used the same lipstick to draw pentagrams on both of the ladies' bedrooms, bedroom walls. He then tied up, bludgeoned, and choked Mabel. Then Ramirez used an electrical uh, electrical cord to shock both of the women. Were they dead? No. Okay. Why? Why? Just torture. Just, Just pure to torture. get that fear. Yeah. Um, the elderly sisters were both found unconscious, and unfortunately, Mabel died of her injuries Not later Mabel Mabel died no. so I don't like it's so strange like he tortures these people and it's like some of them he doesn't want to kill he just wants to make them suffer and then other ones he just point blank shoots and it's, yeah. it's, it's just so random it's weird because like it seems more more like his um sexual deviance is just with the fear thing yeah and he probably kills like if if he was sexually aroused by the actual killing yeah. then he would kill all of them right but it just more so has to do with the fear, the fear. aspect yeah mm-hmm. but he's just fucked up so he does kill yeah and he kills the men because they're gonna yeah, they can beat his ass gonna, you know fuck him up like the one woman that he tried to rape in the hotel exactly so the very next day which is may 30th Ramirez drives the same stolen car to Burbank, California, and he sneaks into the home of Carol Kyle, age 42. At gunpoint, he bounds Carol Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs and ransacks the home. 
He directed Carol Kyle to tell him where the valuables were in the home, and then he raped her repeatedly. Ramirez also reportedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would, and I quote, cut her eyes out. He left the home after retrieving the 11-year-old from a closet and binding the mother and son together with the handcuffs. So they did not die. They did not die. It's just so, it's so random. So at this point, these crimes are getting more and more frequent and closer together. So are they associating all of these together considering... I mean, some of them are not dying and some of them are. At this point, I think because the victims were so consistent and like, okay, this is the guy that did it. The I, description. I think, yeah. I, yeah, I think they're pretty much like, you know, kind of, it's all starting to catch up to him. But he keeps going. he's fucking stupid. Yeah. So on the night of July 20, or I'm sorry, on the night of July 2nd, Ramirez drove another stolen car to Arcadia, California, and randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, age 75. He found her asleep in her bedroom. He bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp and then repeatedly stabbed her using a 10-inch butcher knife from her kitchen. She was found dead at the scene. I have night anxiety. Like, when I'm about to go to sleep, I get scared because... Do you? You just... God, like, these people are just fucking sleeping. I, it's so They're sad. They're just, just trying to fucking sleep. Yeah. I mean, he didn't give these people a chance. You know what I mean? Like, such a fucking douchebag. Like, you know damn well they're sleeping and you just... Like, at least wake them up so they have a fighting chance. <laughs> yeah, right. Why would he do that? <laughs> <laughs> so, on July 5th, which is just three days later... Ramirez broke into the into the bedroom window of 16-year-old Whitney Bennett. He brutally beat her with a tire iron as she oh, slept. God. After searching to no avail for a knife in the kitchen, Ramirez attempted to strangle the teenager with a telephone cord. See, he's just doing just random shit now. Yeah. He later stated that he was startled to see electrical sparks coming from the cord, and when his victim began to breathe, breathe he fled the house believing that jesus christ had intervened and saved her life (laughs) bennett survived the brutal beating although 478 stitches were required to close the gaping hole in her head oh my god 478 stitches stitches are like staples stitches oh my god dude i can't even like I don't. I don't want to sound disgusting. But like, how did she even have a head left after that? Seriously, like, that's shit. a lot. Horrible. Oh my god, poor girl. I hope. I wonder if she had any brain issues after that. You would think she. That's would have a brain to. injury. Oh, for sure. So by the beginning of July, there had been enough surviving victims um, that all had matching descriptions of this monster in the Los Angeles um, area that the police department had a general profile in mind. He was a Hispanic man, approximately six foot tall with shaggy black hair, bad teeth, and bad hygiene. Size 11 and a half shoe. A press conference was held and all of LA was scared for their lives. And finally, the media dubbed him the Night Stalker. What was interesting about the Night Stalker was that, unlike your typical serial killer, he used a a wide variety of weapons, including handguns, knives, eventually a machete, a tire iron, and a hammer. Ramirez has been said to be a thrill killer and a sociopath. 
Um, when he would break into someone's home, he had no idea what he would find. He made up his mind right there on the spot what he was going to do. Um, so although there are no like definites in criminology, it is a fact that sociopaths are more likely to commit what we call disorganized crimes. Right. They just kind of go with the flow. Um, he was the worst of the worst. He was a serial killer. He was a serial rapist. He was a kidnapper. He was a pedophile. He was a burglar. He was all of those things. And you don't really find that a whole, whole lot with yeah. serial killers. Usually they have kind of like a a type of person they kill, a, mm-hmm. a weapon of choice. He yep. just did it all, you know? He literally on my side of the podcast room right by our desk you have a picture of them. <laughs> there, yeah i have um so on each side we both have pictures of serial killers or whatever and on my side i have like charles manson and uh jeffrey dahmer but i also have fucking richard ramirez right, right next by my to your face, face. <laughs> and i just keep looking over him looking over at him and i'm just thinking like what a disgusting Ugh. fucking monster Ugh. he looks greasy as fucking that yeah, he looks disgusting his hair looks greasy. His skin looks greasy. He's got like the highest arch eyebrows I've ever seen in my oh, life. You won't believe what I'm going to tell you near the end of the story. Like, <sighs> well, yeah, we'll talk about this I, in a little like, bit. I want to take it down and turn it around. Oh, gross. So on July 7th, Ramirez robbed the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, who was 61 in Monterey Park as well. He found her asleep on her living room couch and beat her to death using his fists and kicking her in the head. Wow. He kicked her so hard that a shoe print from his Avia sneaker was found imprinted on her face. So we've got the sneaker yet again. That is so fucked up. Oh my God. How hard would you have to kick somebody? I don't even think I could kick that hard. I'm telling you. Like disgusting. So we've got this Avia sneaker that's been found in flower beds it's been found on somebody's face so (laughs) he's literally so stupid like at least change your shoes (laughs) change your shoes he was disgusting he probably never changed his clothes probably literally the clothes he wore on his very first murder is probably the same clothes he wore on the rest of them exactly that right there the outfit that's the outfit he killed in constantly oh probably every day probably disgusting fuck So uh, anyway, the same evening, he later returns back to Monterey Park and chooses the home of Sophie Dickman, age 63. Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed Dickman at gunpoint, attempted to rape her and stole her jewelry. Attempted to rape her? I don't know why he didn't, but he attempted. Okay. And uh, when she swore to him that he had taken everything she owned of value, he told her to swear on Satan. Did she? I guess she did. I mean, she wanted to live, you know? Well, I would have. So now, yeah, I know, right? So now we are on July 20th. Ramirez buys a machete and steals a Toyota and drives it to Glendale, California. By the way, these are all um, suburbs of LA, you know, all in a general area. Yeah. So he enters the home of Leela Needing, age 66, and her husband, Maxon, age 68. He attacks the sleeping couple and hacked them up with the machete, then killed them by shooting them in the head with a twenty-two. Oh my god, they weren't even dead after he hacked them. Oh my god. I'm in pain right now. It's awful. It's so random. He then mutilated their corpses more and robbed the house of anything valuable. Ramirez wasn't done yet. He then drives to Sun Valley. 
around 4.15 a.m., he broke into the home of the Kovanoth family. He shot the uh, sleeping husband in the head with a 25 caliber handgun, killing him instantly, then repeatedly raped and beat the wife, whose name was Somkid. I did not say the husband's name. It's Chainerong. 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 Um, It was just a hard one to pronounce. So he tied up their eight-year-old son before dragging the wife, Somkid, around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items, which he then stole. During his assault, he demanded that she swear to Satan that she was not hiding any money from him. A couple of weeks pass without a murder. But on August 6th, Ramirez Ramirez drove to Northridge and broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He silently crept into the master bedroom, sees Virginia, age 27, and shoots her in the face with a 25 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Oh, my God. He then shot Chris in the neck and attempted to leave the home. Chris fought back and missed being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. The husband and wife both survived their injuries. Good. Shot in the face and shot in the neck, dude. Like, dude, insane. Ugh. It's crazy to me how you can be shot like that and still survive. There were a lot of survivors in this. Like, he must have sucked. Literally, also, like, you think about, you know, there are people that get shot, like, in the chest or, like, mm-hmm. the stomach and they die. Yeah. And there are people who literally get shot, shot in, in the, the head yeah. and the face and the neck and they survive it. It's so crazy. Horrifying. Oh, gosh. So, uh, August 8th, Ramirez drives another stolen car to Diamond Bar, California. And around 2.30 a.m., he chooses the home of Sakina Abawath, who is 27, and her husband, Elias, 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 I don't know, um, Abawath, age 31. He crept into their bedroom and instantly killed the sleeping husband with a shot to the head from a 25 caliber handgun. He handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry and then brutally raped her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during the assaults. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom hearing the ruckus, Ramirez tied the child up and continued raping the mother. Wow. (sighs) At least the children are just okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well some of them so he then leaves the home and Sakina was able to untie her son and she sent him to the neighbor's home for help at three years old three years old oh my god (sighs) he must have been a smart little boy yes so at this point Ramirez is well aware that the police and media are hot on his tail right yeah and they had a description he decided that he would leave the Los Angeles area and go to San Francisco On August 18th, he chose the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot the sleeping Peter, as he always does, shoots the husband, who was 66 in the temple with a 25 caliber handgun. He then beat and raped Barbara, age 62, before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. At the scene, Ramirez used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. What that means, I do not know. Police discovered that the shoe print evidence from the Los Angeles crime scenes matched the Pan crime scene. Uh, San Francisco's then mayor warned the community and basically said, we know who you are and you're not going to get away with this in a televised press conference. Which, in my opinion, I think is probably not the smartest move Mm -mm. because then he's like, you know, I feel like 
it's like Bailey Sarian said in her video, like it's almost like a, uh, you know, to a psycho, it's going to be like, oh, oh, really? Watch this. You know, it's yeah. almost like encouraging him to do more. Right. You know, I don't I don't think that should have been said. It's like, you know, like egging him on. It's <clears throat> exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Plus, it's like he obviously knows that they don't know who you are because you didn't say who he was. You're not mm-hmm. putting out a, you know, wide manhunt for right. that person with this name that looks like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this mistake by this uh, mayor basically gave Richard Ramirez an opportunity to destroy, you know, crucial forensic evidence. He had, of course, been watching the news, Mm -hmm. and he decided later that evening to drop his size 11 and a half Avia sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge into the water. Yeah, duh. (laughs) You know, he stayed in the area for a few more days, and then he headed back to L.A. Why go back to L.A.? That's where, like, all of your murders took place. (laughs) But, hey, whatever. So, on August 24th, Ramirez traveled to Mission Vejo, California, and chose the home of James Romero Jr., who had just returned home from a family vacation. Romero's 13-year-old son, James Romero III, happened to be awake in his bedroom and heard footsteps outside his window. Oh, God. You got to think everybody in California at this point is like... On edge. On edge. Scared to go to sleep. Like, you know. So immediately terrified that it was the Night Stalker, James ran to wake his parents. And Ramirez took off. Good. Good kid. Yeah. The 13-year-old James ran outside and took down the color, make, and style of the car that Ramirez was driving as well as a part of the license plate number. Wow. What a brave boy. A super brave boy. Oh, my god. 13 gosh. years old, and you basically chased the Night Stalker down. Yeah. Like, wow. So, of course, the family contacted the police with this information. Good. Like, awesome, 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 awesome job. Such a brave boy. Oh, my wow. gosh. I don't think I would go I'd after the Night Stalker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> So, uh, obviously, not much happened there because he was pretty much busted. Dude, at this point, I feel like everybody should be taking turns sleeping. Like, Mm -hmm. somebody stays on watch while the others sleep, and then you just kind of alternate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'm laying out my window, and I know there's a serial killer at large in my area, and I hear something, like, uh -uh. (laughs) I'm going to have my phone, like, on 911, ready to, Literally the entire night. Handgun on my nightstand. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So after the Romero encounter, Ramirez continues on his crime spree because, you know, it just wasn't enough for him to almost be caught. Right. So he breaks into the house of Bill Carnes, who was 30 years old, and his fiance Inez Erickson, age 29, through their back door. Ramirez enters the sleeping couple's bedroom and woke up uh, Bill Carnes when he cocked his 25 caliber handgun. What a horrifying way to wake up. Yep. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Inez. Ramirez told the woman that he was the night stalker and forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he brutally beat her with his fist and bound her with neckties from the couple's closet. After stealing whatever he could find, Ramirez dragged er uh, Inez Erickson into another room and raped her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry and made her swear on Satan that there was nothing else left. What the fuck is wrong with this dude? Fucking nut. 
Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson, tell them the Night Stalker was here. He's getting real ballsy. Real cocky. So Inez unties herself and goes to a neighbor's house to get help for her severely injured fiance. Surgeons were able to remove two of the bullets from his head, and he did survive his Thank injuries. God. Like crazy, these the, the amount of people that survived is amazing. It really is amazing, yeah. I mean, horrible about the ones that did die, but I mean, I can't believe how many people survived these horrible injuries, dude. And th- imagine the PTSD you'd have for the rest of your life. Like Ugh. you would not be able to sleep anymore. No, no. no. So. Inez, of course, was able to give a detailed description of Ramirez to the police who obtained a cast of Ramirez's footprint from outside the Romero home. The stolen car was found abandoned on August 28th in Wilshire Center, Los Angeles, and police obtained a single fingerprint from the rearview mirror, despite Ramirez's careful attempts to wipe the car uh, clean of his prints he was really good at that like when he would steal a car he would like get every inch of it and wipe it down so it couldn't be traced back to him but being a serial killer is a lot of work i know (laughs) that's a lot of work yes what's the point dude god like but yeah he missed one very crucial fingerprint so the print was positively identified as belonging to Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. Investigators decide to release a mugshot of Ramirez from a to the, or, uh, I'm sorry, from a December 12th, 1984 arrest to the media and the Night Stalker finally had a face. At the police press conference, it was announced, we know who you are now and soon everyone else will, though there will be no place you can hide. No and place. I think at that point, they should have said that. Yeah. Well, when you have an actual face and yeah. name, yeah. that's when you fucking say that because Hell then yeah. you have the proof yes. that you have it, yes. that you know who like, they are. Like, bitch, we all know who you are now. Good luck. Literally. You know? So unaware that his face was plastered everywhere on August 30th, 1985, Richard Ramirez hopped on a bus to Arizona to visit his brother. After failing to meet his brother, he returned to Los Angeles early on the morning of August 31st. He walked past police officers who were staking out the bus terminal in hopes of catching the killer should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus and into a convenience store. And what did I mess up here? I think I skipped something. Okay, so basically he walks past the police officers that were staking out the bus and he ends up going into a convenience store in uh, East Los Angeles. Okay. So Ramirez notices a group of elderly Mexican women staring at him, and they were speaking out loud, calling him El Matador, which means the killer. So Ramirez looks and he sees his face on the front pages of the newspaper rack everywhere. (laughs) So basically, like, he freaks the fuck out, he panics, and he, like, runs for it out of the store. Like, Mm -mm. you can't hide, bitch. Mm -mm. You can't hide. Like, if you terrorize a city this much, literally everybody's going to remember every aspect about your face. Yes. 
So he ran across the uh, Santa Ana freeway and attempts to carjack a woman, but he was chased away by bystanders who took off after him. So they're all like running after him because they know who he is too. Yep. I love this. Yeah. He hops over several fences and attempts two more carjackings, um, but he was eventually subdued by a group of men from the area. Look so. at these people getting the confidence. Like, yes. they're, they're, it's it's so ironic because it's like he, his whole thing is, you know, fear based. And now nobody bitch, is you, fearful. Everybody is going up against yeah. him. So basically, like, they're like, wrong neighborhood, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we about to get your ass. So one of these men ends up beating him over the head with a metal bar. And the group of men beat him relentlessly until police could arrive and take him into custody. It's so upsetting that that he didn't die the way that he was killing people. The pictures of him. Have you seen the pictures of him in the back of the police car Uh -uh. after they took him in? Like his head's wrapped in like all these bandages. Like they fucking beat the shit out of him. Oh my God. Which I think is amazing. Me too. Like coming together as a community. (laughs) I hope when the police officers got there, they just kind of walked super slow (laughs) up to, to just be like, bastard you know let them kind of do their thing i I find that amazing it's like the community came together to get Mm -hmm. this prick and And they fucking did it dude they did it absolutely so um here we are at his first court appearance ramirez raised his hand with a pentagram drawn on it and he yelled hail satan of course shut up On August 3rd, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor in the courtroom with a gun. Um, Ramirez had planned to smuggle it into the courtroom. So a metal detector was installed outside the courtroom. (sighs) (sighs) Yeah, good luck with that. Right. And this is a really strange part to me. So in a weird coincidence on August 14th, um, the trial was interrupted because one of the jur- jurors, Phyllis Singletary, never arrived. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified for their lives, wondering maybe if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside this, his prison cell. Could very well have. Because he had, like, fans. And yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second. All of them do. Literally all of them do. And I don't understand. Like, it's one thing to be interested in what a serial killer yeah. did, like, fascinated by it. Oh, I'm about to talk about that right now. Like, Okay, I'll yeah. just wait. <laughs> okay, yeah. It, it's fucking ridiculous. So um, anyway, she was found shot to death in her apartment. And they're all like freaking out like, oh, my God, th- th- did he have something to do with this? But however, it was determined that Ramirez wasn't responsible for her death. And she was shot and killed by her boyfriend who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a Yikes. hotel room. So on September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted of all charges, 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7, 1989, he was sentenced to die in the gas chamber. He stated to reporters after the death sentence, big deal, death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Oh, See you in Disneyland? Like what? Okay, Richard Ramirez, you think you're a fucking witty, funny person? He's an idiot. 
So the trial costs $1.8 million, which um, equals $3.71 million in 2019, which at the time made it the most expensive in the history of California until surpassed by the O.J. Simpson case. Why was it so expensive? I don't really know. I guess because it was just such a big case. There was so much to it, mm-hmm. you know, so many deaths, so many attacks. It was just, it was a lot. Wow. So here I'm about to kind of talk about these fans. So first of all, my question is, why do stupid ass women <laughs> go goo goo gaga and become obsessed like on a romantic level with murderers and rapists? Why? I don't know. What the fuck is wrong with you? No, I like there are literally women mm-hmm. who write to oh, inmates. Yeah, like Chris Watts. Yes. Like he's a good looking man. Okay, cool. He killed his fucking family, you lunatic. He literally annihilated his family. What do you what, what could you possibly gain from this motherfucker? Mm-hmm. And with Ramirez, um, I did not take this down, but Bailey Sarian was saying in her video, there was a specific juror, juror, juror who was like in love with Richard Ramirez like she would like make like googly eyes at him and like blow kisses and like why the fuck didn't she get kicked off that juror she should have and he would like look at her and like do the eyebrows and like ugh, gross so um anyway by the time of the trial Ramirez had fans who were writing him letters and visiting him in prison which I don't think should be allowed either if you don't know this man why are you visiting him Uh uh-uh so beginning in 1985, a woman by the name of Doreen had written him nearly 75 letters. In 1988, Ramirez proposed to Doreen, and on October 3rd, 1996, they were married in California's San Quentin State Prison. And I'm so sorry, I did not mean, yes, yes, it was 1996. Sorry, I thought I had that wrong for a second. Okay, so, um, yeah, you marry a serial killer like ugh. you need help like yeah. mental help if there's another case i'll cover eventually that i've done a lot of research on but just decided not to where same kind of thing he ends up marrying this woman um while he's in prison just uh, a fan bundy just a well, yeah the other one i won't say who because i want it to be a surprise when i do cover it but yeah why why I don't know. And it's like, first of all, Sickness. he's fucking hideous. He's never getting out. He has rotten ass, stinky ass, just a, the most disgusting mouth you'd ever see in your life. You know, he did end up getting his teeth fixed in prison. For what reason? I don't know. I think they should have just let him rot out of his head. What, so he can look good for what the the yeah. guards, the other inmates? A lot of women found him like super sexy. And like looking at him, I'm just like, Ugh. No. Uh, yeah. And he had a horrible hygiene. Like, ugh. Like I said, he looks greasy as fuck in that picture. Mm-hmm. Do, is it because, like, women are like, oh, he's, like, the most feared man right now. Like, he's so... But he's I don't a get badass. It. He's so awesome. He's a And, bad like, boy. even people thought, like, he didn't do it. Like, that was a lot of the women. Like, I know you didn't do this. You wouldn't do this. And you're delusional as fuck. Honestly, anybody that ever... St- I could never be a juror because any <laughs> I would always think that the person's guilty. I'm like, if you're standing here right now, you probably did it or you probably did something to deserve to be here. Yeah. And I am scared of you. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So Doreen and Richard marry. And uh, for many years before Richard Ramirez died, which he is dead, Doreen stated that she would commit suicide 
um, when Ramirez was executed. Honestly, probably should just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> However, Doreen did eventually leave Ramirez in 2009 when DNA, check this out, when DNA confirmed that he had raped and murdered the nine-year-old girl. So I guess that was just too much for her to handle, but everything else was okay. Right. Like every, she can look past everything, like all the rape and murder of all the women, but do it to a kid and it's, you know, nope. Deal breaker. Nope. Deal breaker. Can't do it anymore. It's totally fine that you butchered all these other people. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) So Ramirez died at the age of 53 while he was on death row and it was due to natural causes. Of course. um, Complications of B cell lymphoma. And he also had chronic hepatitis C infection. He had been on death row for more than 23 years, but by the time of his death in 2013, he was again engaged to a woman by the name of Christine Lee, who was a 23-year-old writer. The The end. end. I can't even. The end. I literally just cannot. And you know, remember the Russian doll man? Yeah. Remember what he did? Mm Mm-hmm. And then he got a girlfriend while standing trial. It's like, what is wrong with you? Like (laughs) Things like that. It makes me like believe when men are like, women are all psycho because (laughs) that is such a psycho thing to do. I think you have to be a very lonely individual. Like clearly you cannot find a man outside of these nut jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then there's women, you know, that just like, they write pen pals in prison just to have somebody. You know what I mean? Like, girls, there are better men out there. <laughs> Literally. You don't have to resort to that. You do not need We got Tinder and shit now. Come on. <laughs> but just be careful. Be careful with that, too, because we know what that, happens on there. <laughs> they're on the app as well. <laughs> Lord. I I think I would, I would write an inmate for research purposes <laughs> right not like, to, i would like totally change my name and like oh, no, me too oh yeah like i'm polly and i am writing to you i would fake it i would pretend like i was interested just so i could get information you know what that actually is not a terrible idea maybe Let's we could do, do that Let's and do see it. if we got it you know it'd probably take months before we get a letter back if we got one back but yeah. and we know. could um read it on air and like yeah oh that's weird uploaded on facebook Ooh, i don't know if i like it <laughs> i don't know we'll, we'll talk about it okay. we'll talk about it. let us let us know what you guys think should should we write a murderer a murderer and see what they say back or should we just not <laughs> let us know we can't say like we're writing you and because we have a podcast <laughs> no because then they might listen to us oh, God. <laughs> yeah no well we can just say something like We'll have to get a P.O. box or something. Oh, I'm not giving them my fucking home address. True. Oh. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Because I was like, you know, you don't have to put a return address, but to but get you a do. reply back, <laughs> you do. Yeah, we'll get a P.O. box. Right. Like, I, this is my P.O. box address just because, you know, I'm sure you have friends on the inside and or on the <laughs> outside. <laughs> they can kill me. Oh, gosh. Especially if they ever find out, like, we were reading this shit. On our podcast. Yeah. So the entire world can hear it. Right. Uh, I don't know if I like it. We'll talk about it. We'll <laughs> talk about it. We'll see what happens. Let us know, guys. Yeah. Well, that was a great story. You did very, very well. Oh, thank you. Very proud of you for that. I'll be honest. It, it 
I'm not super into the well-known stories. Me personally, I like learning a lot and I like to share with you guys things that you don't already know. And I feel like that was a very well-known one and you guys probably knew a lot of it, but I hope you still enjoyed it. Um, I do want to add that Brooke started researching the Night Stalker before the the Netflix docuseries came out. I did, or which at is least funny. before she knew about it, because mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, have you been watching that docuseries on Netflix?" I didn't and she's even know like, about huh? it. <laughs> yeah, so it it's just kind of came at good timing. Coincidental, yeah. But um, I personally was kind of dreading this episode because I hate Richard Ramirez so oh, yeah. much. I know, and I just didn't want to listen to it. But the way you told it was very oh. you captivated captivated my attention very well. So oh, thank you. I, I tried because it's so much. I tried to shorten it in a way, but still, still incorporate the interesting. You right. Know? Yeah. So we did a good job. Thanks. Applause all around. Woohoo. Okay, guys. Well, um, I hope. And by I hope, I mean, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you want to join our Facebook group for more, because we post pretty regularly in there and everybody else posts pretty regularly in there, um, you can do so at For God's Sake, Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can follow our TikTok and our Instagram at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. You can buy our merch online at storefrontier.com slash don't drink the Jones juice. Or if you live locally, you can head on down to keep slave. Head on down. And pick up a Ouija board. Don't drink the, for God's sake, don't drink the Jones juice. Long sleeve, black shirt. Short sleeve. Is it? Short sleeve? Yep. The ones I ordered are, yes. Oh, I thought they were the long sleeve ones. Short sleeve. The long sleeve one is the one that I have. So they're short sleeve and they're super comfy. Okay. Well, even still. <laughs> a good shirt um and then is there anything else mm, no no not that i can think of okay well i guess that's it yeah later homies. <laughs> all right for god's sake don't drink the jones juice